Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, it's time to ask the question, who's the bosk? This is the podcast you're looking for. Who is this bosk character? I fear him. Who is the bosk? Hello and welcome to Who's the Bosk? It's a Star Wars podcast from LaughingPlace.com. My name is Mike Celestino. I am your host. I am the lead Southern California reporter and editorial director for Star Wars content at Laughing Place. This is episode 65 of Who's the Bosk? And it's kind of going to be a catch-up episode, a little bit different than what we normally do. We are continuing our 50th anniversary Lucasfilm retrospective with a movie that I skipped because I couldn't line up uh, a good guest. I couldn't find an appropriate guest for this that was available at the same time that I was. So I'm just going to forge ahead. I decided I'm just going to watch the movie. I'm going to talk about it on the podcast by myself. Uh, So that's going to be coming up a little bit later in the episode. So I thought since I was Recording this episode by myself, it would be a good opportunity for me to finally... What the heck? What is this Star Wars-based alarm klaxon noise going off? Hi, Mike. It's me, David. Oh my gosh. You shouldn't be in here. This is... There's a pandemic happening. Not anymore. (laughs) Are you saying we're both fully vaccinated? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. I got Pfizer. You know I'm a Pfizer guy. (laughs) Yes, so for the first time in over a year, mm-hmm. we are here in the same space, David Murto, In Echo Base. In Echo Base. David usually shows up every 10 episodes for Who's the Boss, but uh, as a special treat for episode 65, halfway between David's appearances, um, we're going to do something special. That's right. Look, some of the guests have been answering the five Star Wars questions level two, but I want to know... What are Mike's answers for the five Star Wars questions level two? We heard his answers to level one last year. Let's hear level two this year. I think if you go back and listen to episode five, number five mm-hmm. ever, uh, you can hear my question, my answers to the number, what, was, what were you saying? Five Star Wars questions level one. And then now for season two, we've got the five Star Wars questions level two. And uh, David is nice enough to come and administer those five Star Wars questions, level two, for me to answer on That's the right. show. That's right. I'm the Grand Inquisitor in this situation. <laughs> All right, so it. let's Here do it. Go. The first one. What is your favorite line of dialogue in a Star Wars movie or TV show? I watch these movies fairly often, and the mm-hmm. one that always hits me the hardest is when after Yoda lifts the X-Wing out of the swamp on Dagobah, and Luke says... I don't believe it. And Yoda says, that is why you fail. That, yeah. That's the line that always gets me. That's great. Yeah. And also excellent Yoda impression. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I don't know. that. To me, that's like the uh, thesis statement. Mm-hmm. And of... it's a little piece of Yoda wisdom. And also, I appreciate it because if this had been like in the prequels era... Yoda would have scrambled up the words because he had to do that every single line. Fair. So, that is why. I don't you, know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, nice nugget of Yoda wisdom. Let's move on to the second question. Thank you. Which Star Wars planet or moon would you like to live on and why? All right. My first instinct was to say Hoth because... Too cold. 
Um, I it's my favorite Star Wars planet. I like cold places. I like to visit cold places. I and that's up, why you live in Burbank, California. That's why I live in Burbank, California. Um, I grew up in the northeast, Long Island, New York, where it got cold in the winter. We had snow and stuff. I miss it terribly. My wife does not care for snow as much as I do <laughs> or cold temperatures. I, I would really like to go to Hoth. I would like to hang out in Echo Base. That's why we named uh, the studio the studio Echo Base, although we haven't been using it for a year but maybe that'll change soon um but then i i started thinking about it and it just wouldn't be pleasant no to live on you get Hong. sick of it yeah all those wampas around it doesn't seem like they're capable of keeping it very warm even inside the base everybody looks cold mm-hmm. or um, if you turn up the temps too high then everything melts and the princess's wardrobe gets ruined <laughs> right, right. uh so then i thought okay coruscant would be cool you're in the middle of everything that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, okay, when I was a little younger, I was like in my 20s, I would have liked to live on Coruscant mm-hmm. and be be like right there where everything's happening. That's how I feel about New York. I tried to yeah. live there a couple of years ago and I was just like, I could have done this in my early 20s. Yeah. I can't do this now. Yeah. In fact, I, I moved to New York City when I was 24 or something, got mugged twice. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, this is not for me. I'm going back to L.A. Um so maybe Coruscant, yeah. Coruscant is the New York. Of Coruscant the Star Wars. is the New York City of the Star Wars universe. I don't know how long I'd last there. I like to try it when I was younger. Uh, I think the real answer, though, where I'd probably end up, is a popular answer to this question so far. But the forest moon of Endor it just seems that's where I'm going to very pleasant. Uh, it's the it's temperate. It's got a lot of trees, a lot of shade, and it's got that sweet village, the the tree amazing yeah. Ewok village. But so. you've got to look out for the, what are those weird creatures called? I can't even remember. Oh, there's so from, many weird creatures that live on Endor. <laughs> uh, the mean Ewok monkey things. Oh, from, I don't remember. <laughs> and then there's that witch lady. I've seen literally how many episodes. I don't even remember how many we watched. Three. I think just, yeah, just three. Three something. episodes of that Ewoks cartoon. Um, I don't remember what those guys are yeah, called. But that's the only problem with Endor. Yeah. 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 So... Let's move on to the third question. Okay. What is your favorite era in the Star Wars storytelling timeline and why? And I'm going to give you a few examples. <laughs> okay. Could be the Old Republic. Could be the High Republic. Could be the prequel era. Could be between the prequels and the original trilogy. That's the Reign of the Empire. Could be the original trilogy. Could be the New Republic, which is like the era right after Return of the Jedi when mm-hmm. we got the Mandalorian and stuff. Could be the Rise of the First Order and the sequel era or it could even be the legends which is the unofficial uh decanonized expanded universe okay what's your favorite yeah i i kind of thought about going with legends because nobody has said it yet i thought i'd go like against the grain Mm -hmm. but in my heart it's really i'm actually going to steal cole garyak's exact answer from last week which he said you know original trilogy all the way um i love the aesthetic of it Mm -hmm. more than anything that they've come up with, you know, in the timeline before or after that. I always feel like the prequel stuff is too, like, clean looking. Yeah. And then the sequel trilogy stuff is too reminiscent of the original trilogy. just feels like they lifted most of that and and changed it a little bit. Um, And then I am intrigued by the New Republic era that they're starting to explore now, which is what Cole said. I'm going to agree with that and say I'm really looking forward to more of these Disney Plus shows that take place in that era of the timeline. 
So both of those, uh, although if I had to say one, it's going to be original trilogy. Great. That's the correct answer. All <laughs> right. For the fourth question, which Star Wars creature would you like to have as a pet? This is a real easy one for me. I, I want a Tauntaun. Yeah. I want to ride it around town, mm-hmm. use it to run errands and stuff. And uh, where are you going to keep him? <laughs> I have a garage. Yeah, he lives in the garage. <laughs> what do you feed Tauntauns? They they seem like they're vegetarian animals herbivores. it does but where like where is greenery where's where's the f- fauna no flora growing on on hoth. hoth but also are they indigenous to hoth because that one freezes and it's like it's cold out there if you take yeah. him outside he's gonna freeze i've always been confused by that too but I th- i'm pretty sure they are but maybe they live indigenous. in caves yeah they just cold. don't go out at at nighttime right yeah that, that makes idea? sense yeah Okay, I accept that. I, I think Tauntaun's a great answer. Would you hit us with a little impression of what a Tauntaun sounds like? <laughs> we we have a Tauntaun toy around here that makes the noise, don't we? Yeah, uh, I got it for the cats, but okay. Um, <laughs> you can cut that part out. I was trying to put you on the spot. No, no, I, I... I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. <laughs> okay. All right, here we go. Ready? <laughs> wow. That was really good. <laughs> and then we're going to actually hit the toy and see how close we are. Here we go. Here's the toy. Yours was better. Which one was more authentic? I think yours was a little better than the toy, but both excellent. Okay. All right, let's do the fifth and final question. This is an interesting one. What filmmaker or author would you like to see create a Star Wars story? So you're... You're Kathleen Kennedy. Who are you going to tell your assistant? It's like, get me so-and-so on the phone. I love this question. Um, And I'm going to put my faith in other guests to populate the answer to this with more diversity because I have two answers and they're both white dudes. Um, (laughs) My first one is Vince Gilligan, creator of Breaking Bad, uh, X-Files writer. Mm Mm-hmm. Love him. I love everything he's done. I think he would be... Well, I, I don't love the movie Home Fries. Um, it's fine. You I'm not familiar that? with that. Drew no. Barrymore. Uh, it's okay. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I just think he would do... I, I don't know if he'd be interested. I don't even know if he's a Star Wars fan. But, but we know he likes science fiction tinged things from the X-Files, right? That's true, yeah. I, I just think it would be a good like character-based Star Wars exploration of something. I mean, we've already seen him do... like. Basically, Walter White like turns to the dark side in, mm-hmm. in Breaking Bad. So I'd like to see him go like a deep dive on a single character. Right. Maybe we just follow his arc. And a lot of his storytelling has convoluted schemes that are real fun. And that would be fun to see in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, absolutely. That's and great. then you my second choice. Yeah. This is one that people have suggested a bunch, but I just think it would work out so well. And I, I, I think he's probably hesitant to work for Disney again after what happened with ant-man but uh my second answer is edgar wright sure i just think his style is very uh, heavily influenced by star wars already he's already admitted he's a big star wars fan if you watch that tv show spaced there's a lot of star Star wars Wars stuff references in there and um he's already friends with you know simon Pegg, uh who is the portions man he's uh yeah he's uncar plutt in uh the force week we could get uncar plutt the star a star wars story from 
from Edgar, Edgar Wright. Wright. It'd be great. Or or something else. I just think uh, I just think he would do a great job. I, I know he's probably hesitant again to do something in such a big franchise because of he had a uh, bad experience with Ant Man. Yeah, yeah, and we don't know exactly. I mean, it's never really come out exactly what happened, why he left Ant Man. But I'm guessing it was because Kevin Feige wanted to put all this stuff and tying it into the larger right. Marvel Cinematic he wanted Universe. Wanted to do his own thing. Yeah. yeah, Edgar Wright, very, uh, very auteur. He's got his own idea, and the movie's yeah. gonna fall. Uh, what do you think of the trailer for Last Night in Soho? It looks very interesting. Uh, from what I've seen, people's reaction to that, I think it's. It's an homage to a genre of film that I'm not terribly familiar with. Okay. Do you know, like, this whole concept of giallo? In Itali- oh, Italian sure. Horror? Yeah, yeah. Like, um, like uh, Suspiria. And, and yeah. Kind of I haven't seen too much Dario Argento. Like, I mm-hmm. just, I don't know that genre that well, but I'm interested to see his take on it and I guess maybe yeah. explore some of the other. It doesn't look very funny. His movies are usually very funny. <laughs> right. But... Yes. Yeah, a different, a different uh adventure for edgar wright yeah, nice but... to see him branching out yep i will definitely check that out great so you passed you got five out of five <laughs> we were supposed to be keeping score on these yeah we are right. don't worry i've been keeping score for everyone <laughs> all right well i want to thank david for stopping by thanks for letting me into echo base it's wonderful to be back and you'll be back five episodes from now again for that's right uh, episode 70 number 70 we'll be talking about tucker A Man in His Dream in five episodes from now. Can't wait. But for now, let's continue this one without David. Bye, David. Are you going to leave? You should, we should have a, can you open the door and like have it, have a door closing noise in the background? Yeah, here we go. And I'll I'll either cut this out or I won't cut this part out where I'm telling you to put in the door opening and closing noise. Here we go. Bye, Mike. Bye. See See you in five weeks. His footsteps. And then a car engine starts and David drives away and there's a like a loud crash. <laughs> okay, now that David is out of here, we are going to do some Star Wars headlines for the week. Just running through the things that happened in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, since the last recording of this podcast, we had a new episode of Star Wars The Bad Batch on Disney+. Plus. It was called Battle Scars. I actually really liked this episode. You know, I've been pretty lukewarm on The Bad Batch since the premiere. I really liked that first one that was like an hour and 10 minutes long. And then I thought pretty much most of the episodes since then, all the half hour episodes have been mediocre to okay. But this one I thought was really, really good. It might actually be my favorite so far. It's called Battle Scars. It has uh, some interesting stuff going on. It pays off the whole wrecker uh, chip thing with the, with his headaches. It reunites the Bad Batch with a character from the Clone Wars. I don't even know how much I want to spoil. I'm assuming you guys have seen it if you care about it by now. It's been out for almost a week or a few days at this point by the time this is released. So hopefully you've watched the Bad Batch episode called Battle Scars. It's good stuff. I enjoyed it. I hope it keeps up this level of quality, but I've heard there's 16 episodes in this season, which feels like a lot. I kind of wish it were fewer. Maybe eight would be great. Condense all that and not have it so uh, stretched out. Um, Decompressed storytelling uh, isn't usually great for drama, but um, we'll see. Hopefully they can keep this up. The level of quality. I I did enjoy Battle Scars. Check that out on Disney+. Then I wrote a review of Star Wars The High Republic Race to Crash Point Tower. It is the middle grade book in the second wave of Star Wars The High Republic, written by Daniel 
Jose Older, and I enjoyed this quite a bit as well. It actually might be my favorite of the three novels in the second wave of The High Republic, just because The Rising Storm by Kevin Scott uh, felt a little too overcrowded for me, just too many characters, uh, too much going on. I couldn't really connect with anybody through that story. And then Out of the Shadows by Justina Ireland kind of had the opposite problem for me. It, it zoomed in on just a handful of characters, but the book felt a little bit too long. I kind of thought it would be better if they had condensed that as well. But uh, Race to Crash Point Tower, it's written for younger readers, but it gets right to the point. It's only 200 pages, kind of breezed through this. It took me like maybe three and a half to four hours to read this book, and I was done. But yeah, you got you got the story. You knew what the conflict was. You knew what these characters had to set out to do. They completed their mission. Um, not to spoil anything, but it's just a lot of fun. It felt very Star Wars to me, and it felt like a good companion also to these other two books because it does overlap with The Rising Storm and Out of the Shadows as well. So Check that out. That's coming out soon. Race to Crash Point Tower from Star Wars The High Republic by Daniel Jose Older. I also reviewed Star Wars Bounty Hunters number 13, the comic book uh, written by Ethan Sachs. And this issue ties in with the War of the Bounty Hunters crossover events that, that's happening right now in Marvel Comics, Star Wars comics through, throughout the summer. And this issue saw Valence the Hunter traveling to the smuggler's moon of Nar Shaddaa, where he's hunting down Boba Fett. Now, Valence believes that he owes a debt to Han Solo because Han tried to save his life back in their Imperial Academy days. And Valence has found out from Dengar that Boba Fett captured Han Solo and he's got him frozen in carbonite on his ship. And then they heard that Boba Fett was on Nar Shaddaa. So they go there looking for Boba Fett, but instead they run into Chewbacca and C-3PO, and there's kind of this showdown in the streets of Nar Shaddaa. It was pretty fun. I'm enjoying this War of the Bounty Hunters crossover event so far. Looking forward to more of that. But like I've said before, there's over 30 total issues of this big, major crossover event running throughout the Star Wars Marvel Comics titles. Check those out this summer from your local comic shop. And then we had some announcements from Hasbro for the Black Series and Vintage Collection action figures. Bunch of great stuff coming. I actually immediately went and pre-ordered this stuff when it went on sale. Uh, the thing that I'm most excited for is that they're expanding the line of Rogue One, a Star Wars story, Black Series action figures. So now they're going to have Bodhi Rook, a character that they had never made before in the 6-inch Black Series line. So I pre-ordered that. I also pre-ordered uh, Galen Erso. The character played by Mads Mikkelsen in Rogue One. And then you've also got Antok Merrick, one of the pilots from Rogue One. And I also pre-ordered the new Cassian Andor figure. So previously they had just made him in his outfit from the planet Jeddah. I think the kind of parka that he wears. And now they've got him in his uh, regular outfit. It's called the Captain Cassian Andor figure. I also ordered um, from the smaller scale... Vintage collection action figures. There's a Mithral figure, the the character played by Horatio Sands in The Mandalorian. He's getting his own action figure, but in the smaller scale, 3.75 inch vintage collection. 
Um, I bought that because I'm going to be getting the Razor Crest, the the HasLab Razor Crest vehicle that's coming later this year, and I kind of want to be able to populate that with as many figures as I can. So the Mithril was on the Razor Crest in the Mandalorian. I ordered that. I also ordered the Kuil, the Ugnaught figure coming from Hasbro. But you can pre-order those. I think some of them are still available on HasbroPulse.com, and then some of them are like Target exclusives, which is sometimes a bummer and more difficult to get. But yeah, check those out. We've got the full list full list and links up on LaughingPlace.com. Also on LaughingPlace.com, you can find a Star Wars Father's Day gift guide. This uh, went up on StarWars.com, and then we linked to it from Laughing Place just to make sure that people are seeing it, that the Laughing Place audience knows that it exists, and you can follow that over to StarWars.com. Okay, this is going to bring me to some other exciting news for the week. It's not directly Star Wars related, but it is who's the Bosque related, because in the past on this podcast, I have interviewed from the TV show Lego Masters. This is a reality competition TV series all about building Lego I'm really into it. It's in the second season of the U.S. version of the show. Previously, they had shows uh, overseas in the U.K. and uh, some other places. But uh, in the past on Who's the Boss, I've interviewed Judge Amy Corbett from the show. Also, uh, just a couple weeks ago, I interviewed Nathan Sawaya, who's a Lego artist, and he's a consulting producer, and he does does a bunch of stuff for Lego Masters. So I guess they've enjoyed our coverage at Lego at, at laughingplace.com and then also here on Who's the Boss. So they reached out, the folks at the PR department for Lego Masters reached out and asked if I would want to interview each team of contestants as they get eliminated from this season of Lego Masters. And of course, I immediately said yes, because I'm super excited about this show. And I thought, what a fun thing to be able to do to talk to each team that basically the day after they get eliminated from the show as the episodes are airing and they give me 10 minutes with each team. And the first eliminated team from Lego Masters season two was named Jack and Don. And I had a 10 minute conversation with them. I'm going to play it now for you. Here we go. Hi. So nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. So I'm speaking with, uh, Jack and Don, the brother and sister team, uh, they were the first team to be eliminated in Lego Masters Season 2. And I want to start out by asking you, um, what was your history with Lego before you participated in Lego Masters? Ladies first this time. <laughs> um, we've each been building either together or separately for 50 some years each uh, we started you know as siblings building with with the, the lego bricks that jack would have um because it was typically a boy's toy you know things were very gender specific back then and and so you know we would build together or he'd go off and do other things and i'd still build i don't know if he knew that or not <laughs> i do now. um but then then we have um, when my kids got to be five, six years old or whatever, we'd get them some sets and they'd build. And and I try to help them spur creativity. Don't just build the set. What else can you build with it? 
you know, and I have, I have a picture of my son, one son who was probably about 10 years old and he's got a tower as tall as he is. So it's one of those kinds of things, you know, and then now, now, you know, so I've had a couple dark ages and I've just kind of come back out of the dark age, my last dark age, probably the last, within the last year. And thanks to our sister, um, who, who's uh, very, very active in the label community as well. So it's been, it's been, it's been a wild ride, but a lot of fun. And I, yeah, I, I've been building off and on probably about 57 years. Um, got away from it when I was a teenager, or right before I became a teenager. Um, got back into it again when I had kids. Got away from it again when they grew up until they started having kids and, and got back into it again. And um, it's not real. I wasn't a real big builder even um, with them. I would assist. And God bless my grandson. When they found out I was going to be on the show, he actually brought me a tub of Legos so I would have something to practice with to get on the show. <laughs> Great. So um, once you got on the show and you showed up to start filming, what was the biggest surprise to you? I'm assuming you saw season one. So what was the biggest surprise when you actually got on that set? That we were there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's about it. Really? That makes sense to me. So uh, the challenge that got you eliminated last night was called Hero Shot. And um, what do you think you could have done differently to ensure that uh, you had stayed on to compete for another week? Uh, well, part of, I guess we'd say not build to our strength because building strong structures is our strength. And that, that's kind of, <laughs> it, it was a challenge to build to fail. And I think that was part of it. You know, that, that's not something a typical Lego builder does is to build to fail. Well, we were successful then. We failed. <laughs> we failed. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So what was it like interacting with the judges, Amy and Jamie? And do you think they were fair in judging your projects? They were very... I don't say open. They were they were they were very easy to talk to. After you got for, through the first thinking, oh yeah, I'm really here talking to Amy and Jamie. You know that, <laughs> that that's always kind of a big whoa. But they were they were very easy to talk to. They gave very good suggestions. Some of which we had already thought about doing ourselves already. So we really liked those suggestions. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there were some things that was like. I don't know if we, I didn't feel comfortable doing a couple of the things they, they suggested just be, it was just in my mindset. Um, I had a hard time populating the street scene with figures to get blown up. I, I, I have to protect my minifigures. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that was very hard for me. But other than that, I think, I think it was it, the suggestions they gave were, were very viable. Um, and and important to, to listen to how about host yeah. will arnett did you get to spend a lot of time hanging out with him what were your interactions with him like um i froze up a lot of times i've spoken in front of of groups of over 300 people but what, something about when i got in front of will and the cameras 
I would forget whatever I had on my mind to say, um, or it wouldn't come out quite the way I intended it to. Um, we had a couple moments, you know, um, I don't think he was pleased with the answers that I gave him or the response that I gave him, but he was very easy to talk to, really. It wasn't anything on him. It, it was just my own insecurities. Yeah. Yeah, we had some good some good banter back and forth, and and it didn't show on some of the things, but, you know, some of the stuff that we talked about, and, you know, he was looking for a tagline or a, a catchphrase, and and then, then I blew that one all the pieces, so... <laughs> <laughs> well whatever <laughs> so but it was good but but no it was it was good it was easy it was easy to talk to once you got past the fact that this is will arnett you know and um he seemed to be very caring especially when we spoke um the first episode about kelsey and and he he really you could tell he's either a really good actor or he really did feel deeply um with our story and that 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 warmed my heart Hey, I'm sorry for your loss, by the way. I wanted to say Thank that. Um, I, I want to rewind time then to that first episode. And the challenge was the Lego Day Parade. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your uh, project for that challenge and how you felt uh, you did in, in that, ep that week's episode? Uh, we, we did a butterfly float. The, the, the float was the challenge. Um, and it was to represent our team we, we were team kelsey so that's that's what we did was to represent the team was the butterfly um kelsey loved butterflies she kind of had a connection with them um so we did that um and then populated it with children um yeah we we put children around it um, they are carrying balloons because it was a celebration of Kelsey and, and her love of life and color. And so Kelsey was wrangling the, you know, leading off, you know, had her butterfly on a leash and was leading it and everybody was celebrating. And we had somebody in the back, um, on a swing in a tree, which really, which didn't get highlighted at all. But so he's swinging in a tree and it, it was more of a natural motion from the float moving that would make the swing move. So that was that was an additional, hopefully, one of those hopeful things because you've never built some of these things before, you know, so everything was hopeful. And, and that was one of the things that Jamie said, well, hopefully, don't you think it was like, we've never done this before. <laughs> How many floats have you built that are 48 by 96 <laughs> studs in size? <laughs> we, we had a, a, a little glitch um, due to our, our, our lack of experience or engineering technology. <laughs> I had knowledge. Um, we had planned on the wings actually flapping. And had we known now back then, I mean, had we known back then what we know now, we could have pulled this off probably, but we didn't have enough knowledge. So um, we, we found that the wings were too heavy for the motor we had. Uh, Somebody seemed to hog most of the motors, and I'm not going to name him, uh, but <laughs> we didn't have a whole lot of choices when it came down to picking a motor to, to uh, function this. So instead of the, 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 the wings flapping, we ended up having a couple of the legs move, 
and then the natural motion on the float is what we ended up with. Um, but having said that, we didn't end up in the bottom two. We, we, we were safe on that one. <laughs> So, yeah, my last question for you, then, is if you have any advice for future contestants on Lego Masters who might be part of season three or beyond. Advice. Go big. Do your research ahead of time. Because um, uh, I, I feel that was part of our problem. Uh, don't be intimidated by the, the, by the stars of the cameras. <laughs> that's, that's what I got, man. <laughs> so that was my conversation with Jack and Don, the first team eliminated from Lego Masters Season 2. And this is going to continue. Each week that there's a new episode of Lego Masters, when a team gets eliminated, I'm going to record a new interview with that team. It'll be in written form on laughingplace.com. And also, I'll play the audio here. It's not 100% Star Wars related. But as I've said before, Lego Masters has had some Star Wars related content. Obviously, they did a whole Star Wars episode and then lego and star wars just go hand in hand together as well so check that out i hope you enjoy it watch lego masters on fox every tuesday evening and tune back here on who's the bosk to listen to the further interviews with the eliminated contestants that's going to bring me to my main topic for this week it's a movie called latino america's secret war in nicaragua i'm going to read you some Quick facts about this film. Uh, it premiered at the Cannes Film Festival on May 14, 1985. It was released in October of 1985 in the U.S. It was written and directed by Haskell Wexler, who's most famous for being a cinematographer. He did uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, is probably his most famous work, I believe. Produced by Benjamin Berg and an uncredited George Lucas. The music was written by Diane Louie. The cinematography in this film was done by Newton Thomas Siegel, who has gone on to do a whole bunch of stuff, uh, the movie Drive with Ryan Gosling, uh, Three Kings, a David O. Russell film, Usual Suspects, Brian Singer film, uh, edited by Robert Dalva, who edited Captain America, The First Avenger, Jurassic Park 3, Jumanji, so basically, uh, pretty much, I think, Joe Johnston's whole filmography as a director, this guy has edited, and then he, Robert Dalva also did the second unit camera Second unit camera department on the original Star Wars film. So he has a Star Wars connection as well and a Lucasfilm connection there. Uh, the production companies for Latino were Lucasfilm, Las Flores Company, and the Neruda Corporation. And then it was distributed by Cinecom Pictures. I don't think they're still around. And the running time of the film was 105 minutes, though I have to admit it felt a little bit longer. I'm going to read an excerpt from this book that I have called, called George Lucas... The Creative Impulse. And it says Latino. Uh, it gives the release date as of 1986, although here it said uh, 1985, so around then. And it says, on the one hand, I'm doing these huge productions, and at the same time, I'm helping on these little productions for my friends, Lucas had said. They're all interesting movies, movies that I cared about and wanted to see made one way or another. Some of them were small failures, some of them were huge failures, and some were extremely nice movies. But in most of the interviews with me, and even with the company, they're passed right over as though they never existed. But those movies may be closer to what I am than Star Wars. So we're not passing them over here. I wanted to make sure I get into them on Who's the Boss. Uh, it goes on to say, the fine cinematographer Haskell Wexler, a friend since Lucas's days at USC, had later been 
an invaluable consultant on the problems of night shooting on American graffiti. He won an Academy Award for his photography on Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. There you go, another one that he worked on uh, as a DP in 1966. And his first feature as a director, Medium Cool, remains one of the best films about the political turmoil of the 60s. Always politically concerned, Wexler in 1984 wanted to do Latino, an angry and indeed polemical film about the U.S. involvement in Central America and Nicaragua specifically. Lucas, who appreciates Wexler's fierce dedication, read and advised on the script and later on the editing, and lent his backing, which helped Wexler obtain a distribution deal with Cinecom. So that's how George Lucas was involved with this film. Uh, The cast includes Robert Beltran, who is best known as Chakotay on Star Trek Voyager, as Eddie Guerrero, the main character of this film. Annette Cardona played Marlena, and she's from the movie Grease. Michael Goodwin from the Deadpool, not Deadpool, the Marvel superhero, but the Deadpool with Clint Eastwood, uh, and he plays Beckett in Latino. Julio Medina from the TV show Dallas plays Salazar in this movie, and Tony Plana from The Three Amigos plays Ruben. Uh, And what is this movie about? What is Latino about? It is definitely a war movie. I definitely found it disturbing, but I am sure intentionally so. Uh, It displays the realities of war, the disturbing realities of war. It is about the commandos, the uh, Contra rebels assisted by the U.S., and the country of Honduras going into the country of Nicaragua to combat the communist Sandinista party. And this guy, Eddie Guerrero, is enlisted. He's he's previously fought in the Vietnam War, but now he's gone down to Nicaragua to help out the Hondurans in in their battle against the Sandinistas. But as he goes through these missions, he starts to realize that uh, he may be fighting on the wrong side, although that doesn't get played up as much as I kind of was expecting it to. Um, It definitely shows that uh, the U.S. involvement there may have been uh, misguided at best. And yeah, it it just shows the horror of that war and probably the mistake I guess from this perspective that the U.S. made in getting involved with that conflict. Uh, And I felt that this movie was mostly a a misstep as well. Um, I didn't really enjoy it. I thought it was clumsily made. The editing was confusing. It didn't really look all that great. Uh, Like my friend David, who watched it with me, said, you know, this is a movie made by, directed by a cinematographer, and then they also had a very talented cinematographer as the actual DP, and yet it still didn't look that great. Although the copy that we watched uh, was a very poor transfer on Amazon Prime. Um, but yeah, I just thought it wasn't terribly well made, it wasn't terribly well acted. I guess it succeeds at convincing me that maybe this particular war or conflict wasn't an honor you know an honorable one so in that way it is successful otherwise i can't say that i really recommend watching this movie and i understood at the end of the film why it's mostly been 
forgotten. You know, George Lucas said in that quote that a lot of his stuff gets glossed over, but um, this one, you know, he was an uncredited producer on this film and it was released under the Lucasfilm label. You know, Lucasfilm is appears in the end credits of this film, but I understand why it's one of the more forgotten entries in the Lucasfilm filmography. And then usually I wrap up my discussions of these movies by asking, like, what is the legacy of the film? But with Latino, like I said, it's mostly been forgotten. I don't think many people have seen this film. I only knew about it from that book, George Lucas, The Creative Impulse. And I wanted to include it in the podcast as I did this Lucasfilm retrospective. And I wanted to be able to say that I had seen every Lucasfilm movie. And this is definitely one of them. I can't really recommend it, though, outside of that. And it's tough to find. It's only available on Amazon Prime, and it's not even available in HD. The version on Amazon Prime is in standard definition, which does not look that great, uh, even on a nice TV like I have. So um, this was kind of a bummer for me. It's not nearly as bad as like Howard the Duck, but at least Howard the Duck is interesting and kind of fun. This movie is a real downer. I'm not a big fan of war movies. I got to be honest, outside of, you know, Star Wars. Uh, When war movies are like real world wars, I find them very depressing. And this is no exception. And and there's really not much to say about it other than that. Not much uh, on the positive side that I could say that would uh, make this an exception. So uh, I can't really recommend Latino, but I did want to make sure I included it in the retrospective just to say that we did every Lucasfilm movie. Okay, um, I know I didn't have a tremendous amount to say about that film, but I also couldn't find a guest to talk about it either. So I just wanted to do it as part of this kind of fill-in episode since I did take a an unscheduled break a couple weeks ago. And that's going to wrap up my discussion of Latino. Let's do the last couple segments for this week's episode of Who's the Bosk, the first of which is called the Lucasfilm Project Pitch. This is where I just uh, either have my guest or myself pitch a, a an idea that we'd like to see coming from Lucasfilm. And I'm going to do a Star Wars one this week. You know, I didn't want to spoil it last week, although we did talk about the character of Kira from Solo, A Star Wars Story, coming back in the comics. And I think it would be a great idea to give actress Amelia Clark her own series on Disney Plus kind of in the same way there would you know they announced the Lando series we've got an Obi-Wan Kenobi series as a Cassian Andor series coming up why not do a Kira series where we can fill in the gaps between where we saw her in Solo a Star Wars story working for Darth Maul and the Crimson Dawn and then all the way through to where she pops up in the post Empire Strikes Back era at War of the Bounty Hunters for Marvel Comics. So we could, they could fill in that whole uh, time period for Kira, and we could find out what she was up to working for Crimson Dawn during that whole period with Amelia Clark. Why not do that? I think that would be great. And you have a female-led Star Wars show on Disney+. Plus. Uh, I think it's a great idea. I hope that they do something like that. Uh, and then the final segment of Who's the Bosk is called First Steps into a Larger World. This is where we talk about the media that we're consuming outside of Star Wars. And my example this week is going to be a video game I've been playing called Wasteland 3, and this came out last year. It's a, a top-down role-playing game. It's a turn-based combat, which I'm really getting into lately. And it takes place in a post-apocalyptic 
wasteland as the title implies it actually takes place in colorado so it's a frozen wasteland which i always enjoy and i'm getting into this game i really like it it was recommended to me by uh previous who's the boss guest alex trumbo who always has good taste in video games he recommended this and i picked it up and i really like it so far i'm just kind of getting into it so check that out if you want wasteland 3 i'm playing it on xbox one but i think it's available for playstation and for the PC as well. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Who's the Bosk. That's not true, actually, because we're going to have two episodes this week because I'm playing a little bit of catch-up. This episode's coming out on Monday, June 14th, and then on Friday, June 18th, I'm going to drop another episode, and that one's going to be about Star Tours, the Disney Parks attraction that everybody loves or has loved in its various forms. And for that episode, we're going to have Doobie Mosley, the co-founder of Laughing Place On. He's a big fan of Disney Parks, obviously, and a big fan of Star Tours. So he's going to come chat about that with me on the next episode of Who's the Boss? Until then, thanks so much for listening. Please visit laughingplace.com for all your Disney news and opinions. This has been Mike Celestino for Who's the Boss? See you here Next time, thanks again. Bye. Boring conversation anyway.